Yes, but Mark chapter 4 is where we're going to be. Mark chapter 4, and as we uh, go through our, our time in the Word of God together today, I, I do pray that our hearts would be encouraged and uh, that we would be strengthened through the Word of God, and that we'd be challenged in our faith, uh, most of all, though, that we would just simply look to Jesus, um, for that's, that's our true hope in this life and in the life to come. Let's pray and ask God's blessing again in our time together. And as I pray, I ask that you would pray, um, that our hearts would be ready and able and desiring to receive God's word as it's proclaimed this morning. God, we thank you uh, for your love for us. We thank you for your, your goodness to us, God. And as we have just sung um, these songs that really magnify your goodness, uh, God, we understand that this goodness is not something that we have deserved. It's not something that we could earn. Uh, but your goodness is granted to us because you are gracious. And God, truly, as we think about your goodness and your mercy, as Jeremiah tells us, God, it's new every morning. We're thankful for that because our trials are also new every morning. Pray, God, that as we go through your word this morning, that, uh, that we would take to heart the things that this passage reveals to us, that, that we would examine our own lives, and we would ask the question of, in the middle of our storms, in the middle of our difficulties, God, who... Who are we looking to as a source of strength? And God, I think if we're honest, at times, each of us in this room wants to be able to handle life on our own. But God, help us to be reminded today that we can't, that we need you, and that you desire to work in our lives, not just in a, a temporal way, but in an eternal way. God, so we ask that you do great things with your word this morning through your spirit, that that as we look at this text, we would be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, that you would use it for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As Mark continues to relay the events of the day that we began looking at last week, uh, we see that it's now time for the crowds to go home and for Jesus and his disciples to head to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. The body of water that we're talking about today is one that's seen often in the life of Christ. Already it's been referenced several times as we saw Jesus call his disciples from fishing on the sea to be followers of him. And we'll see it several more times in the Gospel of Mark, but it's also mentioned many times in the other Gospels as well. The day had been busy, but now it was time for them to depart. The teaching was completed to the masses, and now it was time for the teacher to take his closest of followers, his disciples, on a field trip where a great lesson would be learned. As he speaks and he tells them it's time to go to the other side, we see that the disciples then call the crowds to go home and they send the crowds away and they take Jesus as he was in the ship and they start their journey to the other shoreline. Remember, Jesus had been teaching from the boat because the crowds were so great. The multitudes of people that were coming to Jesus caused him to be concerned that they would crush him, if you remember. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And so to get the crowds to go away, I'm sure, would be a little bit difficult. But as the crowds disappeared, instead of walking, Jesus and the disciples went in the boat and they crossed the Sea of Galilee. And the point that they were would have been about a six-mile journey to get to the other side. And when they got there, the assumption was that they would just continue what they were doing. 
But between the two shorelines, Jesus was getting ready to teach his disciples a very valuable lesson. Friend, as we think about our lives, oftentimes we think about event to event, church service to church service, revival to revival. But isn't it true that God often does great works in our lives in the journey from point A to point B? And as we look into this text today, we're going to see that as the disciples were on a journey with Jesus, they learned things about Jesus that they were not fully convinced about in their hearts until this point. They understood that Jesus did great things for other people, but in this scenario, Jesus is going to do great and incredible things for them that is going to turn their attention to him in a way that it had never been turned to him before. And I would dare say that there are some in this room today who are like the disciples. You've seen Jesus do great things for other people. Oh, you've trusted him as your savior. But there's a point in your life where where you're going to get to see Jesus do some great things for you individually. And it's going to make your relationship with him much more intimate than it has ever been before. And so while Jesus had done many miracles for everyone else, it was It was now time for Jesus to do something for the disciples. And in this moment that is so memorable on the Sea of Galilee, uh, my imagination takes me to this thought that every time they passed the sea from this point forward, they thought of the storm on the sea when Jesus calmed everything with a few spoken words. And it grew their confidence. It grew their awareness of who they were actually with. It grew their desire to live for him and not for themselves. It grew their desire to to give their lives for the sake of the gospel because they understood what Jesus was able to do in the physical realm and it propelled them to understand in a greater way what Jesus was able to do in the spiritual realm. So this text is indeed familiar to us. It's one that we hear about in in children's church, in our Sunday school classes. It's one that that even secular culture has paintings to to portray to us of what this scene looked like. People people love this idea of the, the ship on the sea in the midst of the storm. And the reason that they love it is because it touches every one of us. Because every one of us at some point in our life has felt like we were that ship. That we were in the midst of the waves where the the water was not just around us, but coming into the boat that we were in. And we were fearful, or we are fearful, that our ship is going to sink. And whether you're here today as a Christian or not, you understand what it's like to go through a trial and a storm. To go through a time of deep waters. But as we look to this text today, we're going to find great hope in this story. And though we may not be in a physical boat, in a physical sea, with a physical storm, we will find great hope in that in the midst of our storm, whatever that is, Jesus offers us hope both now and for eternity. So the title of our message today is just simply this, Looking to Jesus. The big idea this morning is this, the Christian life is filled with trials and pains. In the midst of these difficulties, Christ will do an eternal work in us if we commit to keeping our focus on him. And so our job in our trials is not to fix the problem. Understand this, church. Our job in the trials that we face is to simply continue 
to, to continue to look to Jesus, who is able to calm the storm around us, but also able to calm the storm within us. And as we think of this idea of looking to Jesus, it's my challenge for us today that in whatever we're facing, whatever is trying to distract us or lure us away or keep us from from humbly bowing at the feet of Jesus each and every day, that we would push past those things and we would continually look to Jesus to give us the hope that we need to take the next step. Have you ever been in a moment in life where it seemed like the next step was nearly impossible to take? Friend, will you look to Jesus in that moment? Will you look to the one who formed the world by his spoken word? Will you look to the one who died on the cross for your sins and for mine, not simply to give us hope in this life, but to give us hope in the life to come? The writer of Hebrews tells us, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, who went through unthinkable trials in this life so that he could be our savior. So my challenge to us today is simply this, look to Jesus. I want to see three things in this text that hopefully will be a help to us as we look at this familiar story. I pray that the spirit of God would do a great work in our hearts through our time together. The first thing is an incredible storm, an incredible storm. In verses 35 through 37, the Bible says, in the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, let us pass over into the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. As I've already said, the, the scenario or the sea that they're on in this day uh, that we're looking at in this text is a familiar sea. The Sea of Galilee was the center point of many of the, the things that Jesus did in his ministry. Uh, this seat was, was uh, significant because it sat 500 feet below the Mediterranean Sea and surrounding this sea on every side uh, were mountains that towered above its waters. And as this sea sat in that place and as the weather patterns would change from time to time, often the cold air from the mountains would rush down and meet the warm air of the sea. And when it did that, some, some incredibly interesting and, and unique storms would take place on the water. Storms like people had never seen before. And that's exactly what we see in this moment. The Sea of Galilee was not a huge body of water. In area, it was just over 41,000 acres, which to us seems huge. But to, to break it down in a little simpler way, at its, its widest point, it was only about 8 miles and its longest point was about 13 miles. You may still say that sounds like a huge body of water. But for reference, Lake Champlain is 314,000 acres. And so 41,000 acres of the Sea of Galilee versus 314,000 acres uh, for, for Lake Champlain. And a couple of weeks ago, we were out in Ohio and we saw one of the Great Lakes. And those make Lake Champlain look like a puddle, right? And so the Sea of Galilee was not a huge body of water. It wasn't like an ocean. It was, it was a lake that was used um, to, to, uh, for people to, to do commerce on. They would get from point A to B by crossing that lake. The disciples we know, some of them were fishermen. And so they were used to being on this body of water. But the storms that this body of water produced were really uh, unlike any other storms that would have been in that area at that time. As Jesus tells the disciples, it's time to go. And as the disciples send the crowds away and they take Jesus as he was, that means Jesus was already in the ship. So basically he just stayed in the ship and he journeyed with them to the other side of the, 
the sea, uh, we see that the disciples kind of took control of the situation. Uh, The end of the story reveals to us that Jesus was found in the back of the boat sleeping. So in some ways, the disciples were probably thinking to themselves, man, Jesus has has impressed us with his abilities on this earth, uh, with his power to overcome demonic forces and and, and laws of nature, but now it's our time to impress him. We're going to show him how great a fisherman we really are. We know these waters. We know how to handle whatever storms are going to come our way. And so Jesus goes to the back of the boat, and they're probably talking amongst themselves, thinking, you know, this is our time to shine. Jesus has showed off his talents and abilities, and now it's our time to show off our talents and abilities. These men, even if they weren't fishermen, were familiar with this body of water because it was a central place in that area in that day. They were familiar with the storms that this body of water could produce, but they had never faced one like they were facing on this day. These were tough men who had weathered many things in their lives. But as they entered the boat on this day and they got ready to pass from one shoreline to the other, Jesus was going to reveal to them that they they needed him in ways that they didn't even understand. Friend, do you understand that's true about our lives as well? That oftentimes as we go through life, we think we have things figured out. We think we can make it through. We think we can, we can take the next step. And oftentimes Jesus will do something in our lives that reveals to us that we need him in ways that we don't even understand. Jesus understood, in my opinion, that the storm was coming. He understood what was going to take place on that day. And he goes back to the boat. He's the one who led them to this storm. And while that doesn't agree with what popular Christianity would say, friend, we must understand that that is a reality of the Christian life. That when you follow Jesus, when you commit yourself to him, you will be led to troubled waters time and time again. He doesn't lead you there because he doesn't care about you. In reality, he leads you there because he does care about you. He leads you there because he wants to teach you some great and valuable lessons. And one of the greatest lessons that the disciples learn in this moment is that their reliance needs to be fully upon Jesus and not in themselves. Jesus led the disciples to a great moment of difficulty in their life where their faith would be tested, but we must understand that this was for the purpose of sanctification to take place. After this storm, they had a greater faith than they'd ever had before. After this storm, they understood things about Jesus that they had never understood before. After this storm, they were ready to follow Jesus in ways that they were never ready to follow him before. And so as they find themselves in the midst of this storm, in the midst of this sea, in this place that they were familiar with, they realized in this moment that they they could not make it through this storm on their own and they needed someone greater to step into their lives. And that greater one that they look to, as we're going to see in this story, is the person of Jesus Christ. And friend, that is the person that we are to look to in our storms as well. And when we look to him, we will not be disappointed. For he will do an eternal work in us that we never even dreamed possible. And so the storm was incredible. The Bible says in in verse 36 that they got into the ship and there were other little ships with him. And then in verse 37, there arose a great storm of wind and the waves beat into the ship. So it was now full. I don't know if you know anything about sailing, but typically the water's not supposed to be in the boat, right? 
That, that's common sense. We understand that. But the storm was so great in this moment and the wind was so fierce and the waves were so, so huge that the, the waves were swelling over the sides of the boat and they were fearful that the boat was going to sink in that moment. Imagine these, these 12 grown men who were fearing for their lives in this situation that they thought they had total control over up until they realized they didn't have total control. Haven't we been there? We're, we're good. I, I don't need any help. I, I can make it through. Whatever my struggle is, whether it's a, a private emotional struggle or a, a personal physical struggle or a spiritual struggle, I can make it through. And we think we can take our own steps to get us where we need to be. But as Paul reminds us in, in 1 Corinthians, uh, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. In this moment where the disciples thought they were able to stand, where they were probably thinking about nothing other than just getting to the other side, Jesus reveals to them that even in the simplest of things, they need him in their lives. Posted a picture earlier this week of Rembrandt's rendition or, or painting of what this scene was to look like, and it's actually quite masterful. I was reading this morning, uh, somebody wrote a, a, a time of meditation and prayer um, from looking at the picture that, that Rembrandt had painted. And it's incredible, the things that they pull out of where the disciples were and what they were doing and how they were responding. But the end of it all came down to this final point. The hope of all the disciples in the midst of that incredible, incredible storm were in one person and one person alone. And it was Jesus. You see, they could have banded together as a group of strong-willed men and said, we're going to weather the storm. And if they did, the ship likely would have gone down. But when they looked to Jesus, they found strength in him that they could not muster up in themselves. They found something in him that they could not conjure up in themselves. And as they looked to him, they found peace in the midst of that storm that caused them to be in awe of the one who was in the storm with them. Mark shares another account of when the disciples find themselves in the sea in the middle of the night. And in that account, Jesus isn't with them. But Jesus comes to them. But in this account, we see that Jesus was with them. And it's a great reminder to us that he is with us as well. In the early Christian church, one of the symbols that they would, would share to demonstrate that they were of the Christian faith was a picture of a ship being tossed on a sea. Why is that? Because they understood that that was a great picture of the Christian life. You see, these men, as they followed Jesus from this point on, understood that their lives would be filled with turmoil and trial and disaster at times. But as long as the ship was still on top of the water, guess what? They were okay. They understood that life was going to be hard, but as long as Jesus was walking with them in the midst of the storm, they were going to be okay. And so the, the idea of, of sharing this picture of a ship on the sea caused them to continually think back to this day when they looked to Jesus and Jesus helped them in what was one of their greatest times of need in the gospel accounts. So the first point we see this morning is just this idea of an incredible storm. Friends, I was reminded this week 
that life is filled with incredible storms. One day I, I woke up, and, and this is not in any way other than sharing the reality of how life is. I, I woke up, and within a matter of hours, four people reached out to me, and I'm happy they did, so don't take this the wrong way. Four people reached out to me with incredible burdens that they're bearing. Do you know what each one of those things is? A storm. A storm. When we were out in Ohio for the pastor's conference, um, I woke up on Tuesday morning depressed and discouraged, and I just wanted to go home. You know what that was? A storm. When you go through situations in relationships, whether it's your marriage or people that you're close to, and you feel like there's never a way to reconcile, that it's always turmoil and tumultuous and, and things are never going to get right, do you know what that is? A storm. And some of those storms are incredible. Some of those storms you can't shake. Some of those storms, they, they weigh heavy on your heart and on your mind until you get to the point where you're depressed and discouraged beyond anything you have ever experienced before. And friend, they're incredible storms. But understand this, that as Jesus was with the disciples in the midst of their storm, so he will be with you if you look to him in your time of need. An incredible storm. Second thing, we see this morning as an incredible savior. In verses 38 through 40, the Bible continues and says this, and he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow and they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm and he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And so in the midst of this incredible storm, we see that there was an incredible Savior who was present with them. And this is one of the great examples of the humanity of Jesus. Remember uh, what we saw last week and what we saw at the beginning of this week. Jesus had had an incredibly busy day. He had finished teaching. He had finished working with people, helping them in their time of need. And Jesus was physically exhausted. So he finds a place in the back of the boat and he goes to sleep. In Bible college, they used to tell us that in, in preaching an average-length sermon, you exert the same amount of energy in your, as you would in working an eight-hour day. I don't say that so you feel bad for me, because my sermons aren't average length. I work overtime. <laughs> but I say it so we get a picture of what's happened here. Jesus was fully human. It takes a lot of effort and energy to, to stand before people and, and proclaim to them truth with passion and, and, and desire and fervency. And I don't think Jesus was a monotone preacher. I think as he shared his heart, you could see it in the passion that came from him in the words that he said. And so as he spent this day teaching and preaching and ministering, when it was time to go away, Jesus was probably saying, man, I'm exhausted. I'm going to find my way to the back of the boat and there's a cushion there and I'm going to take a nap. So Jesus took naps, so it's okay for us to take naps. Yeah. And as Jesus found himself sleeping, the disciples found themselves in the storm. And as they did all they could to, to right the ship, to, to get it to whatever shoreline they could possibly get it to, 
they realized in this moment that their power was limited, that their efforts were in vain because the storm was so great, there was nothing that they could do to get the ship where it needed to go. And I imagine in the midst of these strong-willed men, there would have been arguing, there would have been name-calling, you don't know what you're doing, let me take control of the situation, because I've been through storms like this before. They were distracted from, what, from, from who was with them in the boat, and they were thinking about themselves in this moment. But finally, they came to themselves, and they realized that if we don't figure this out, we are going to die. Our life is going to end. If we don't figure this out, we're not going to make it to the other side. And so in the midst of their arguing, in the midst of their chaos, they determine it's best to finally go to Jesus. And I bet in this moment they did not casually go to Jesus. (laughs) Tap him on the shoulder slightly and say, "Hey, hey Jesus, I know you're sleeping right now, but if you could possibly... Wake up. Um, we're in a storm, and, and we need you to, to help us. Do you think that's how they went to Jesus? No. We know it's not how they went to Jesus because of the accusation that they make against him. They didn't go to Jesus in a casual way and, and say, Jesus, we could, we could use some assistance here uh, if you wouldn't mind helping us out. But in my mind, Whoever it was, probably Peter, went to Jesus and grabbed him by the shoulders and, and, and shake him and, and wakes him up and says, don't you care that we're about to die? Jesus, you've cared about everybody else. But in this moment, it's like you've abandoned us. And friend, we may not verbalize that thought in our mind, but I guarantee there are many people in this room who have felt those very same words come out of their their mouth. Jesus, do you even care? Here they were, serving Jesus, faithfully fulfilling his command of taking him to the other side, faithfully following him, though it wasn't perfect, it was pretty pretty good, right? They didn't understand everything that Jesus said, but at the very least, they were committed to doing what he said in this moment of getting in the boat and taking him to the other side. And as they found themselves in this storm, the question that they asked was brutal. Jesus, do you even care about us? While we say their question was brutal, we also understand that their question... was in some ways ignorant because of course Jesus cared. He'd already provided for them in physical ways while they were on the earth together. And if that wasn't enough for them, remember that Jesus was not just a man, but he was God who wrapped himself in flesh to show that he cared and coming to this earth so that he could die for their sins. And so while their question was brutal, uh, that's how we often think of moments in turmoil and chaos. But Jesus was quick to reveal to them in this moment, of course he cared. Of course he cared for their needs. Of course he cared for the situation that they found themselves in. Of course he cared for them and wanted them to continually look to him in this moment. And so he was going to do something in this moment that would stick in their minds forever. You see, Jesus was not threatened by their storm. He was asleep in the back of the boat. 
Jesus was was able to overcome these things because he knew that he was indeed greater. He he was not overwhelmed with their trial. He he wasn't wringing his hands in the back of the boat wondering what he was going to do next. He was not overburdened with their griefs and their pains. And he did not slump in depression when they woke him up. But he does what a savior would do. He stands up, walks past them, and he speaks these words, peace be still. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. This idea of casting is not not strategically organizing your cares like you would your your, uh, storage closet, right? You've got to have everything in its perfect place so that it would fit, so everything can be back in there. This idea of casting, I heard this illustration this week, is what the garbage men do when they throw your trash in the trash truck. Are they careful with how they throw it in there? No. They throw it in without even a thought. And that's what Peter is saying that we're to do as well. To cast our cares on Jesus, knowing that they don't have to be perfectly, perfectly situated or articulated, but just casting our cares on him. Why? Because he cares for us. But before we can get to this place of casting our cares on him, we have to understand what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 6, which is this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Before you're ever going to cast your cares on him, you have to understand that you have to humble yourself before him. That he's worthy of you casting your cares on him. That he is the one who can handle the cares that you're throwing in his directions. And so the the disciples were brutally honest. They were scared out of their mind and they cast their cares on him. They questioned his care. But deep inside they knew that he did care or else they wouldn't have gone to him in the first place. And when they woke him up, Jesus got up from where he was and he walked past the shaking disciples and he rebuked the wind and the sea and he said unto them, peace be still. And in that moment, the wind stopped and the sea was as glassy and calm as it was in an early morning. Some people say that Jesus calmed the storm and over the next 20 or 30 minutes, the the winds died down and the the seas stopped roaring. Friend, if, if that was the case then the disciples would have questioned if it was Jesus that did it or if it was just the storm that actually passed. So we calmed the storm. Peace be still. And when these words are spoken by Jesus, all of creation listens to his words. He has total authority and total control over the situation. And when he speaks, everything calmed down. And I imagine what it was like for the disciples in that moment as they went from, from hanging onto the sides of the ship and, and clinging to the ropes or, or the poles or, or whatever they could possibly cling to. In that moment, when everything died down, how long do you think it took them to let go of the things that they were holding on to? Probably took a little bit of time. But eventually they did. Eventually, they let go. And as they were met with this incredible storm, we see that the storm was overcome by an incredible Savior. As Jesus said these words, peace be still, we understand that the storm storm ceased from raging all around them, but also we understand that the storm ceased from raging within them. 
And friends, what we have to understand is that when we find ourselves in the midst of incredible storms, sometimes the work that God desires to do is to not calm the storm around us, but only to calm the storm within us. And that doesn't feel as good, right? If Jesus can, then why doesn't he? It's because he desires to do a greater work than what our physical minds can comprehend at times. For the disciples, they got both. But there are many in this room who haven't gotten both. And so often when we don't get what we want, and what we want is Jesus to calm the storm around us, we also neglect to look at him or look to him to calm the storm within us. We begin to be like the disciples who say, Jesus, if you cared, this is what you do. If you cared, this is how you would work. If you cared, this is the, the action that you would perform. But friend, as Jesus approached the disciples on this day, we understood that he did calm the storm around him, but his greatest work was within them. The greatest work that God so often does in us is to calm us in the midst of the storm as well. These words to an old hymn, as I woke up Monday morning, I don't even know why, but they were on my heart. I hadn't even spent much time studying for this sermon yet. The old words of the hymn, Does Jesus Care, says this, Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth and song? When the burdens press and the cares distress and my way grows weary and long, this hymn writer was being brutally honest. Does Jesus care when I can find no enjoyment in life, when, when I'm numb to everything that's going on around me, when it feels like my burdens are, are crushing me? Does Jesus even care in those moments when the diagnosis isn't good, when the relationship is falling apart? Does Jesus even care when I feel all alone? Does he care? Then the chorus that's repeated in this song says this, oh yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary and the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. I didn't understand the backstory to this song. It was written by a Methodist minister after his third sibling had passed away. And this was after both of his parents had passed away. So five loved ones are gone from this earth. And in the midst of that turmoil, he found himself asking the question, does Jesus even care? But then with confident assurance, he wrote, oh yes, he cares. I know he cares. And it's not just that he cares, but his heart is touched with my grief. That's what makes him the great high priest who is able to intercede on our behalf because he is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He does understand what it's like to be a man who goes through difficulties and hardships and turmoil. He does understand what it's like to have everybody turn your back on you and to have everyone walk away from the truth that they once believed. He does understand and he does care. And so whatever you're facing in this moment, whatever is giving you anxiety and depression and discouragement, take heart, Christian, that Jesus cares for you. Amen. And though he may not calm the storm around you, 
Friend, understand this. He will calm the storm within you if you look to him. So I would ask you today, who are you looking to in your storm? Are you looking to yourself? Are you looking to your ability? Are you looking to to what you can do? And, And this is the problem that most of us face. So many believers never enter into an intimate relationship with Christ in the way that the disciples did in this moment because they always take matters into their own hands. Do you know that God doesn't want you to take matters into your own hands? He wants you to lay everything at his feet. Does that mean we just lay it at his feet and walk away? No, it means that we continue looking to Jesus. We continue cleaving to him, following him, living how he wants us to live. And we, we, we cease from taking matters into our own hands and we place them into the hands of the one who is able to do abundantly above all that we can ask or think. So don't think that you can fix your problem or soothe your pain or mend your hurt or that you can relieve your own fears and anxiety. Jesus is saying, come unto me as we see in Matthew 11 and I'm the one who's going to give you rest in the midst of the storm. Was this the last storm the disciples faced? No, most of them died in a storm. Not a storm on a sea in the midst of winds and waves. But they died as martyrs for the gospel. But do you know what they died understanding? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. And the days are weary and the long nights dreary. I know my Savior cares. So as you find yourself in the midst of an incredible storm, can I encourage you to look to the incredible Savior and get acquainted with Jesus in a way that you've never been acquainted with him before? I love talking to men and women who are are seasoned Christians and they're up in years because they have so many stories to tell about how God provided for their needs. Tim Keller, um, many of you probably heard that name, um, just passed away this week, a faithful, faithful man of God. Last night I was reading, somebody posted a an article that had 50 of his quotes. Incredible quotes. Incredible. Where, where does somebody find the wisdom to write those things? From experience. But it all, it all depends on how you respond to the trials that you face. Because there are many people who have gone through trials and they would say that God has abandoned them in their time of greatest need. And that God's abandonment caused them to walk away from the faith completely. Friend, they misunderstand who the Savior is. Because he's promised us that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He's promised us that he will be with us in the midst of our trials. And so when we're in those trials, we must look to him. We must look to the incredible Savior in our moments of panic and fear and worry, in our moments of disbelief. We must continue to look, uh, continually look to the Savior, for He is the one who has the ability to calm the storm. So we've seen an incredible storm. We've seen an incredible Savior. And finally this morning we see an incredible lesson. Jesus wakes up as He walks past the disciples As he speaks these words of peace be still and the winds cease and the waves die down. We understand that he then turns to the disciples. In verse number 
40, and he says this, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? The Bible says, And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the seas obey him? You see, they rebuked Jesus earlier on by saying, Jesus, you don't even care for us. And Jesus calmly corrects them in this moment. He says, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Do you remember the, the demons that I cast out? Do you remember the man with the withered hand that I healed and made whole? You remember the man that couldn't walk, that, that I forgave his sins, and I told him to rise up and walk? Do you remember the first miracle of how I turned the water into wine? Do, do you remember all these things that I've done? Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And then verse 41 says that they feared exceedingly. The, verse, or the, the word for fear that Jesus uses in verse number 40 is, is the Greek word that would describe a cowardly fear. Why are, why are you so fearful? Why are you such cowards in this moment when you have the God of heaven in the boat with you? Why are you looking to everything else to give you peace and satisfaction and contentment? Why are you such cowards? And then when Mark describes for us the attitude of the disciples in verse number 41, that they feared exceedingly, that's not the word for coward. That's the word for awe, for reverence, for respect. You see, and every one of us has to go through a transition in our lives where we go from being cowardly in our Christian faith to just simply resting in Jesus, trusting in Jesus, being confident in his supreme care over our lives, that whatever comes our way, we're willing to follow him. And so the Christian life is not a life where we're to be cowardly. But the fear that we're to have in our lives is to be a reverential fear. A fear of awe, a fear of wonder over this God who loves us and gave himself for us. And the disciples went through a great transition in this moment. And it's a transition that God desires to take us through as well. And with the questions that Jesus asks and with the response that the disciples give, we understand that they learned an incredible lesson on this day. And that lesson was simply this. Look to Jesus. Trust Jesus. Follow, follow Jesus. When they finally spoke, the disciples said, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? Who is this guy that we've been following? Their, their minds were beginning to be opened up in a new and greater way to understand the fullness of the Savior that they had given their lives to. And Christians, I would say that as it happened on that day for them, it happens in our day as well. Have you ever grown in your awareness of the ability of your Savior in your life? That's what happened here. They understood greater things than they had ever understood before. They understood that while Jesus was like them, a man, they also understood at the very same time, he was nothing like them, for he was God in the flesh. He wasn't just a good rabbi or a good moral teacher or a good person to follow with their lives. He was indeed God in the flesh. And while the storms that we face will often bring out the worst in us, 
We also understand that they're an amazing opportunity to see the incredible power of our Savior if we will look to Him. As they went through this scenario, maybe their, their minds went back to the Psalms in Psalm 89, verses 8 and 9. O Lord of hosts, who is strong, Lord, uh, who is a strong Lord like unto thee? Or to thy faithfulness round about thee, thou rulest the raging sea, and the waves thereof arise, thou stillest them. In Psalm 93 that Nate read earlier, the Lord reigneth, he is clothed with majesty, the Lord is clothed with, clothed with strength, wherewith he hath girded himself, the world also is established, and it cannot be moved. Thy throne is established of old, thou art from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord, the floods have lifted up their voice, the floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. And while they maybe had heard these truths as children, the reality is these truths now became a reality in their lives because they physically saw with their eyes the one who is able to calm the sea. And friend, I, I pray that, that we would learn this incredible lesson as well. That when we accuse Jesus of not caring, that we would take his humble rebuke of us as he says, how is it that you're so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? we've seen him do great works in our lives, then those great works should compel us to follow him and trust in him in greater ways than we've ever trusted before. So I'm not going to sit here today that, and say that if you just trust Jesus, your whole life is going to be a bed of roses. You'll never face a trial and everything is going to go the way you want it to go. Because if I said that, I'd be lying to you. But I will say this, as you walk the road in following Jesus, and your road is filled with bumps and potholes, and at times it seems like there's not even a road to walk on, understand this, that your Savior cares for you, and He will lead you to the other side. It may not go how you want it to go, but it'll go how God wants it to go. And while that's sometimes a hard pill to swallow for us, it's a pill that we need to swallow. For if we don't, we'll never have confidence and we'll always be doubting. But if we do, we'll rest in his ability and we'll follow him to the end. I love what Paul says in Colossians 3.15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which you're also called in one body, and be ye thankful. Do you think the disciples were thankful for the storm later on in their life? I bet when they made it home to their families, they said, you'll never believe what Jesus did. We were in the midst of the raging sea, a storm like we had never seen before. The, the boat was literally filling with water. The waves were, were greater than we had ever seen before. And, and Peter, you know, big mouth Peter, he went back and he woke Jesus up and he said things that he regrets saying in this moment. But Jesus woke up in that moment and he went and calmed everything that was going on. You see, they had a, an opportunity to declare the greatness of God because that great God took them through a deep and dark trial. And friend, when we think thoughts like that, we're reminded of what Spurgeon says. 
to kiss the waves that throw you against the rock, which is Jesus Christ. There are people who say trials only come because of sin. The disciples were only obedient. They only did what Jesus said to do. And where did it land them? In the middle of a raging sea. When trials come, I, I do think it's a good, a good thought for us to examine our lives to see if it is the chastening of the Lord. But if it's not the chastening of the Lord, friend, just simply rest that God has a lesson that he wants to teach you. And hold on. Hold on to him and learn the lesson that he desires to teach. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know what storm you're in. But as the old saying says, you're either going into a storm or coming out of a storm, or you're in the midst of a storm right now. But wherever you find yourself, can I just encourage you to look to Jesus? To look to the one who, who knows you intimately? To look to the one who knows you better than you know yourself, to look to the one who came and died in your place so that you could be forgiven. Oh, we're, we're, we're prone to ask the question, does Jesus care? Friend, he died on the cross in our place. Of course he cares. Of course he cares. And let's calmly rest in that truth and follow him, leaning on him, depending on him, looking to him until he calls us home. Friend, you may be here today and you say, well, I'm, I'm not a believer. Understand this, the greatest storm that you have in your life is the storm of sin that is separating you from God. And you may fit the scenario of saying, I can figure it out. I can earn it. I, I can appease an, a, an angry God and earn my way to heaven. Friend, you will never appease an angry God through your own efforts. Don't believe the lie of religion that if you're just good enough that you'll make it to Him. But understand Jesus came because you couldn't make it to Him. And He died in your place and in mine so that we could be forgiven. And so the, the plea to you this morning is really the same plea for everybody in this room. Look to Jesus. Don't rely on yourself for salvation, but look to the one who died in your place so that you could be forgiven. For those of us who are saved today, whatever storm you're facing, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. A couple of years ago, I, I went through a deep waters in my own life. It was to the point where I didn't even want to come to church. Depressed. Discouraged. to the point where my wife would find me bawling my eyes out like a little baby. Life is hard. And do you know what got me through? Faithful people in my life who continually pointed me to the rock of my salvation. I'm not going to stand here today and say that there's never a need because of, uh, of clinical depression to not be on some sort of medication. Friend, there is, and it's okay if you are. But understand this, the greatest source of hope 
the greatest one to look to is Jesus. So will you look to him today? Will you look to him today? God, we thank you. for your goodness and kindness towards us, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. God, we thank you that, that you made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. God, we thank you that when we were in a pit of despair, Christ came down to where we were and he lifted us up and he set our feet upon a rock. God, we thank you for the great testimonies as we think of our lives in the past and how you have worked in incredible ways to do incredible things. And God, sometimes we rejoiced because you did calm the storm that was around us. But God, we also look back and rejoice because sometimes you just calmed the storm that was within us. And God, may that, may that be the storm that we desire to be calm today. So that we would take step after step in confident assurance that you are an incredible Savior who is worth following. As the disciples make it to the other side of the sea, as we'll see next week, they're met with a, a deep challenge. But in that moment, they had confident assurance that the the one who calmed them in the sea was the one who would have control over this next situation as well. And God, the Gospel of Mark really portrays to us what the Christian life is like. We're met with trial after trial, day after day. But we never face those things alone. God, I pray this morning that we would look to you. If there's any here today who have never trusted Christ, God, we do pray that today would be the day of their salvation. Maybe they've come from a form of religion, but God, help them to understand today they need a relationship. They need Jesus. And that he can give them rest from their striving, and from their efforts to appease a holy and just God. For he appeased the wrath of God by dying on the cross in their place. So God, we pray that your spirit would do a great work in our hearts. And that as we leave this place, the aim of our life would just simply be this. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. May we look to him. Thank you again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to sing a song. Actually, the song that I referenced, Does Jesus Care? Friend, today, if you're lost and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, understand He cares for you. And he desires to give you a home with Him in heaven if you'll look to Him by faith. As we sing, I'm going to make my way to the back and you can meet me there. We'll go through the Word of God and show you how you can be saved. But for those of us who are saved, may we sing this song contemplating the words of the trials that the writer was facing, but rejoicing in the chorus as we lift up our voices, knowing confidently that Jesus cares for us. Would you stand as we sing this?